0: The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. I love the music of Reg and Andreas, and I love their hearts that they bring to their their ministry. So, thank you guys for being here. And God bless you. We've been in the Book of Nehemiah for several weeks, and I might you might remember uh, when we began. I said to you that there are two levels on which we need to understand the book of Nehemiah. On the very top level, the book of Nehemiah is all about an incredible return of exiles from Babylon to, back to Jerusalem, where, where they were engaged in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem so that it could be protected. And on that level, it was incredible. They, again, you must remember that this was a, a wall that was about a mile in circumference around the city of Jerusalem. It was about 3 to 4 feet thick and about 15 feet high and it was completed in 52 days. This is an incredible and even miraculous kind of uh, event and the the enemies of Israel were amazed at this, that this could happen and as it was said, it 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 happened because of the help of our God. And so on one level, that is what this is all about. It's about the rebuilding of a city and the walls of a city. But on another completely different level, it's all about the rebuilding and the renewing of a people. And if you only see the top level of that, you you miss the real narrative of what Nehemiah is all about. It's about the renewal of God's people. Remember, this is the same people that 70 plus years earlier had been taken away from Jerusalem and taken to, to Babylon because they had disobeyed God. The prophets that God had sent them, they ignored them. They didn't listen to the warnings. They continued to follow other gods. They did things that were displeasing to the Lord. And the Lord raised up Babylon to come against them. And it's an incredible story of mercy, a severe mercy, but it was mercy that sent Babylon to to rescue, really, and to stop the insanity of, of idolatry among God's people. Now they had been away and now they've returned and the, the task is finished of rebuilding the walls. But now is the test. For will it be that the people that have returned to Jerusalem are content with seeing the temple rebuilt, the walls rebuilt, the the economic and social life of Jerusalem resume like they remembered it in their grandparents' age? Will they be content with the physical life continuing on but not have the heart of worship to God? That's the test. Just days after the completion of the walls, when Nehemiah gave Ezra the charge of reading the scriptures, would anybody show up in the public square? Would they show up? It's it's a lesson for us, an appropriate time for us as a church family to be studying Nehemiah. Will we be content that we have a building now that has been built, the structures there, are we going to be content with what is on the surface that other people around will see, or are we going to press in and pursue God in a more deeper way because of his faithfulness? Would you turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 8? In Nehemiah chapter 8, we, we come to the core of this whole book, the center piece of this whole book. And... Um, If you're able to stand with me, would you stand now as we read Nehemiah chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. And I apologize up front for any mispronunciation of names. (laughs) Nehemiah 8 verse 1. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gates. They told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. And so on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak until noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion, and beside him on his right stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah. And on his left were Padaiah, Mishael, Melkiah, Hashum, Hajbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam. And Ezra opened the book and all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up, just like you guys are doing. And Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. And then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Jerobiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatiah, Hodiah, Messiah, Kelita, Azariah, Josabad, Anan, and Peliah instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. And they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear, giving the meaning so the people could understand what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. And Nehemiah said to them, Go, enjoy choice food, sweet drinks. Send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a sacred day. Do not grieve. And then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. May God bless his word. You may be seated. Amen. I read this past week that on average, a child laughs 150 times a day. And on average, an adult laughs six times a day. Some of you just wasted one. And two. Stop it. (laughs) There's not going to be much laughing at the business meeting, Ezra, I'm sorry. (laughs) Interesting, eh? That these two weeping and laughing would go together because, you see, children are also the ones that cry more than adults too, don't they? And in the Scripture that we're looking at, we see this mingling of incredible joy and laughter coupled with deep sorrow and grief. How is it that these two can fit together? Well, if you've been to a funeral lately, you might have seen both, weeping as well as joy expressed. The task for us this morning in the message is to ask ourselves, why is it that in this chapter in Nehemiah's time, they are able to grieve so deeply and laugh so joyfully in the same experience? And one of the answers that we're going to find is it's because that when they got right with God and when they turned back to God, they found in the experience of renewal that God led them to deep sorrow over sin and deep and great joy over forgiveness and mercy that was fresh upon them. And if you're here this morning and you have had a wayward walk and you've been a far journey away from God, or maybe it's only been a few steps away from God, but you have not been walking close to God, it could be that this morning, even as you see in Nehemiah, you'll see a little bit of your journey back to Him, and it will experience or it will involve both weeping and joy, though they seem like odd bedfellows. So let's take a look at what the Scriptures has to teach us about spiritual renewal. One of the things we notice... Is that the spiritual renewal that was experienced in Nehemiah's day starts with this incredible reading of the Law of Moses? Now, you must remember that this is not a time when everybody had the Law of Moses tucked under their, under their arm and walked away around the marketplaces. You know, this is a time when there was one uh, law perhaps ascribed and in, in, in held in the temple. And maybe there was a couple around, copies around, but for the most part, the average person did not get to read and hear the law of Moses. Not like us, we can read it on our our tablets, on our phones, in our Bibles. And here is an opportunity. Listen to what J.I. Packer says. He says, prior to rebuilding of the walls, Jerusalem had an open city, broken down, economically depressed, low in morale, underpopulated, no glorious place for God now that the walls were built and the renewal of the people would start would they follow Nehemiah the layman put Ezra the scribe and priest in charge of this large-scale teaching but there was no guarantee that after the tired season of building that the builders the families would show up on study day and yet surprise Surprise, that's what happened. It says in the scripture, very early in the morning, they all assembled as one man. Now, if we want to get a picture of this, one writer I read says the best way to think of it is, think of a rock concert. And think of the fact that there's a whole whole crowd of people gathered in the town square, the city square, and they're waiting for Ezra to bring the book out. Can you imagine? Picture that this crowd is getting impatient we want Ezra we want Ezra bring us the book I mean, that's the kind of hunger that they had to hear God's word read some of them had understood what God's discipline felt like and now they knew intuitively this is not just about building the walls is it Ezra no no this is about renewing your heart with God well then bring us the book And so we read in the scripture that Ezra walks out and he's got the book with him and flanked on each side are the priests and the Levites that are with him and they walk up the stairs, a platform had been built just for this moment, this occasion and as he gets up to the platform, he has a podium that he's standing on and as soon as he gets up there, he opens the book and and what do the people do? They all stand up, just like you were doing. This is really where this idea of standing to hear the Word of God read comes from. Now, we are not a legalistic law-bound community of faith. We are a community of grace under Jesus Christ. So if we ever have a time when we don't stand, I'm not going to get all upset. I hope you don't either. Why do we stand when we hear the Word of God? It's because out of respect for this book, we stand to hear the Word of God. We read in the scripture, he opened the book and everyone could see him and they all stood up and as they're standing, verse 8, they read from the book of the law, made it clear and gave it meaning. They gave it meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. This also is one of the origin verses of why we believe in this church on expository preaching. The idea that you take a text of Scripture and you expose what it means. You, you uncover the meaning of the text. There are two very important aspects, as this verse says. There are two very important parts to expository preaching. One, On one hand, we must expose and uncover what the text really says. What, what was the intent of the author? That's very important in any textual preaching But then the other hand is to to take it from B.C. days and bring it into the 21st century and say, well, what does it mean? What does it mean for us? And so in every good sermon, there's a what, and then there's a so what, you see. And if if we only talk about the what, we have a whole bunch of big heads walking out of the church, and we have a whole bunch of people that say, well, I can tell you what Nehemiah said. But they don't know how to live out God's word Monday morning. Because the so what takes the what and says, because of this, because this is true about God, you must live this way. Or there will be consequences. And so we believe in expository preaching. It's hard to preach to people if they're not hungry to hear from God's word. You need to know that it's really hard to preach if people are not hungry. They want to hear from God. I, I, don't, that's, I don't care. Why would you come to hear what Terry thinks? But it's important that you hear what God thinks. And so hunger for God really is underneath this whole moving towards renewed obedience to God. And because in many countries, including Canada, in many large portions, there's not hunger for God, we have a society that does not hunger for God, and because many congregations do not hunger after God, there's a, a severe temptation upon preachers like me. And the temptation is to make your sermon cute or clever or witty. You see, the sermons that are cute or clever or witty will, will sound kind of like a self-help sermon, a little bit of a how-to sermon, or a three-simple-steps kind of sermon. Because there's not hunger for God, yet, yet we got this task of preaching God's Word to a people that aren't hungry to listen to God's Word. Thank the Lord. I don't believe that's the case here. But it's a tremendous problem. I remember every time I go to Barry Sawatsky's garage and take my car, I love reading all the little signs in his office. And the one that I, I've pondered, I've got to preach this one day. I don't know how this is going to work, but I'm going to fit this in. Today might be the day. You know, it's like, it's like there's a sign in his office there that says, you can have two out of the following three, fast, good, or cheap. Take your pick. I wonder if this applies to preaching. You can have it good and fast, but it won't be cheap. I haven't figured that one out yet. You can have it good and cheap, but it won't be fast. Or you can have it fast and cheap, but it won't be good. I think a lot of preaching ends up there. They want it fast and cheap, but it's not good. You can't serve fast food. And yet we want that drive-through fast food sermon Give it to me straight, preacher. i got lots going on today. When we start thinking about our spiritual life in matters of convenience, in quick and easy ways of solution, and and that, we we, we, we reveal a problem. The problem is that we're not hungry for God. If you have, in the physical realm, a lack of appetite, a loss of appetite, severe loss of appetite, In the physical realm, there are all kinds of illnesses that that is a symptom for, and in the spiritual realm, it's the same thing. If you do not have an appetite for God, if you do not have a desire to read his word or pray or talk about him or whatever, it's a symbol or a sign, a symptom of of a deeper problem. The heart is not after God. I remember that this is one of the things I look for in me, and oftentimes oftentimes more often than not i have to stand before god or sit before god and just say god i i don't hunger for you this morning and i start with confession i remember there was a time in, in my in my grade 11 year i'd already been baptized as a younger uh high school student and i had been i had uh, professed my faith and i was a christian i believed But in grade 11, I I did not, and all of a sudden, I can't explain why. But God moved into my life, and I began to hunger after God's Word. I still have the Bible in my office, the the, the book that I'd come home to at the end of school day, get off the bus, I'd go right to the living room, and I'd read the Bible until supper time. Grade 11. And And there was nothing I did before that that said, Oh yeah, yeah, you went to some meeting, didn't you? You, heard, you read that book, you did. No, I didn't. It was God moving in. Spiritual hunger is at the root of this and it came from reading the Word of God and getting a deeper understanding, verses 9 to 12, it got a deeper understanding of what God was all about. In Nehemiah's day, after listening to God's law, it says in the Scriptures that they realized they had disobeyed. They realized that they had not not pleased the Lord, and so they got convicted and they began to weep. It says in verse nine, they were weeping, and in verse nine or verse eight, sorry, verse nine, Nehemiah, Nehemiah tells them, "Stop weeping." Now I don't know about you, but when I first read that, I wanted to say, "Whoa, whoa, Nehemiah! Isn't that what we were preaching toward? Getting them all weeping over their sin? Isn't that what we wanted? Nehemiah, what are you doing? I mean." At least take up a second offering or something, you know? Make use of this. And Nehemiah, he knows what God's doing here, and he says, no, today is a sacred day. It's not about weeping. It's about rejoicing. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You're already convicted over your sin. You've already been confessing your sin. Today is not the day to get deep into that. Today is the day to rejoice in God, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You see, when God convicts someone, and you come with confession and you're forgiven because of the wonderful blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on your behalf. He does not want you groveling. He wants you to come clean and then move on. Rejoice in Him. The kind of joy that is spoken of when it says the joy of the Lord is not, it's not like happiness, which is dependent on the happenings of your life. Joy is this deep thing that is in your heart if you are conscious of the mercy and the love and the grace that God personally shows you. That's when you get the joy of the Lord. Sometimes we use the word joy in a cheap way. That's not the way Nehemiah is using it. The joy of the Lord is your strength. In chapter 8, verse 12, we read, Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to, because their, their joy was great. For now they understood the words that had been made known, to them. They understood. And that's what happens is we have deeper spiritual understanding. We can't help but get overjoyed and it leads to obedience. Let's move on to verses 13 to 18. If you're following in your Bible in chapter 8 of Nehemiah, <clears throat> as they gather on, after the feasting comes a day when they gather, verse 14, and they found out in their reading that there was a thing called the Feast of Booths. This was a feast that God had ordained way back after the Israelites had wandered for 40 years in the wilderness, and in case they forgot about God's faithfulness to provide food and water and protection in the wilderness, in case they ever forgot, when they got into the promised land, God said, it says in Leviticus uh, chapter 23, God said, Every year, do the feast of booths, which is basically go out, cut a few branches down, stack them up this way, and live inside that tent for a whole week. And praise God that your forefathers were delivered in the wilderness. Don't forget the faithfulness of God in the past. And that was what the purpose... So they, they felt convicted. We haven't been celebrating the Feast of Booths, so they do it. They actually celebrate the Feast of Booths And Nehemiah. It says they went out, all, all went out. They got some branches. They came in. They built their little tents, and they lived in them for a week, and they celebrated before God. What were they celebrating? God's faithfulness in the past reminded them, God's going to be faithful now, too. He's going to be faithful in the present. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't get excited about this text. I don't get excited. I can't enter into the joy of a people from Judah way back hundreds of years ago that got a bunch of branches and celebrated what God did. I I, quite, I can't quite do that, really. And if you're honest, I think you can't either. But I can get excited when God reminds us in our church of our sacred stories, when God reminds us of some of the God moments that we've lived through, or that I've lived through, our families have lived through, when we are reminded of how God has been faithful to this community of faith, it is an encouragement to keep going. I want you to know the board and the staff have already been talking about the, the coming months of ministry. The last month of ministry in this building is in January that's coming up. And the four Sundays that we are celebrating in January on this in this property, are all going to be about remembering. There are four different ways we're going to remember. Some of us are going to be telling some of those important sacred stories. The God moments are going to be rehearsed. What's the point? To get a whole bunch of nostalgia going? No. The point is, remember this God that brought you from where on Grant Avenue to here This God that built this building, and 30 years later now, we're moving on to another one in McGillivray. The God and the stories that were written, well, this was our address. we got to rehearse that. we got to say, God, you've been faithful, and therefore, you will be faithful in the future. And then when we get into the new building, we have a month of sermons that are going to talk about the great passages of Scripture that remind us of our purpose as a church. Why does God want us to be a light in this city? And so we must tell the stories. The last thing I want you to notice from the Scripture is found in chapter 9, which we didn't take time to read. <clears throat> but the last thing that happens is after this Feast of Booths is done, they, they all return, verse 1 and 2, they all return back to the square. But guess what? They're wearing sackcloth. It doesn't look like a people that have just come from feasting. And they're all now fasting, not feasting. Verse 2. It says in verse 2 that they confess their sins and the wickedness of their forefathers. Again, all this came out of the reading of God's Word. It just, it just and all the laughter and fun of God's faithfulness and the feast of booths and celebration, it it coincides with this weeping and this sorrow over past sin. Why should how could I have done that to you, Lord? In verse 3. They stood again for a quarter of the day, three hours, and they heard God's word read again. And then another quarter of the day, they confessed their sin and they worshiped the Lord their God. What a, what a service that would have been. Spiritual renewal is accompanied with this kind of humility. It's just so, it's such a, it's just, isn't it a basic spiritual law, isn't it? That, that spiritual renewal accompanies, is accompanied by humility humility. Someone said that humility is the mother of all virtues, even as pride is the father of all vice. I don't know why the men get the vice and the women get the virtue, but that's the way it was said. Humility is accompanied with this returning to God, this renewal It's accompanied with humility. It's accompanied with reading God's word and praying. You just spontaneously praise God. You spontaneously confess your sin. You know, it just comes out that way. When God breathes, when God shows up, when renewal happens in a community, I'll tell you, God just does things that you and I can't do by ourselves in our flesh. And that's what was happening here. If you had, we don't have time, but in verses 5 of chapter 9, verses 5 to 37. It's a whole prayer. It's an incredible prayer of praise to God, of confession, of rehearsing the redemptive history of Israel. And as they go through this whole time, uh, people are just worshiping the Lord in in Jerusalem. The Scriptures teach us in Revelation chapter 7 that we're going to one day stand before the throne of God and we're going to worship Jesus Christ, the Lamb who's on the throne. I think it'll be even more than three hours. And it's so hard to understand because we can't understand that because we're looking at it through a sinful lens and experience. But in that day, we will be free from the very presence of sin. Right now, we've experienced freedom from the penalty of sin. And increasingly, you and I, if you are born of God, you're experiencing increasing... Freedom from the power of sin over you, but one day you will free, be free from the presence of sin, and that's when I think there will be this incredible glory in God's presence. And reading the Bible or praying or none of that's going to be oh yeah I got to discipline myself to do that. It's, it's going to be joy. It's going to be overflowing joy. It's not going to be drudgery. It's not going to be duty. Nothing will get in the way of pure delight in God. No affections in the heart, struggling and competing with God. I I long for that day. I don't know about you, but I I have to honestly say we have to do diligence with this passage. This is an exceptional time in Nehemiah 8. And you and I do not live our spiritual lives in exceptional times. Okay? Okay? on the insert in your bulletin, you'll notice that there's a couple of reflection questions. And the first reflection question is, have you ever experienced a spiritual renewal or refreshing in your relationship with Jesus? How did it come about? I'd love to know that. How did it come about? What was it like? And how did it change you? I shared with you one of those experiences when I was in grade 11, how for no explainable reason I just started to hunger after God. It was then that I knew that I knew that I knew I belonged to God. I saw spiritual affections on my heart. Another one came several years later when Pat and I and the children were in Costa Rica. We were in language school getting ready to go off to Bolivia and... During It just happened, by God's grace, that we were there during their week when they had speakers come in and share with us every evening. And that year, the group that came from the United States was an organization called Prayer Life Network, and a man by the name of Mark Owen was the leader of that group. And before they arrived, weeks before they arrived on campus at the Institute of Language in Costa Rica, they had been praying for us by name. And, and they had people walked, us to, walked up to us, this team that he'd brought, and they just said, oh, you must be Terry. This blew me away. We had a week of meetings, and I, I can't fully explain it. It's, it's our joy because we experienced it. It's not your joy. But let me tell you, I saw God at work. That was a renewal weekend, a week. We, we saw in the evening, not only in worship and preaching, but we saw men and women standing up. There was a doctor and his wife that were going off to medical missions, and their marriage, she confessed that as far as she was concerned, she wished their marriage was over. They were, they were preparing to go to the mission field. They stood up in tears and confessed their sin and recognized how they had wronged each other, and they restored their marriage. We had a man stand up and confess to his problem with pornography. We had people that were dealing with with issues that they'd confess. The end of the week, we were going as a group of men up the mountain to have a retreat. The women were going off to another place. And the day before we went up the mountain to the retreat, a man that was supposed to be preaching at it came to me And said, Will you preach? My grandma died. I've got to go back to the States. I was half excited and half overwhelmed. But I said yes. And I just figured, well, I'll go back to my computer in the sermon barrel and I'll just find a sermon or two that I can preach. And even as I got that sermon and printed it, and on the bus all the way up the mountain, I remember the Holy Spirit was saying to me, Don't you dare. Don't you dare preach that. don't you dare give them that. That's give them fresh bread that I'm giving you. And I got up the next morning and I still didn't have anything. And I just said, Lord, what do you want me to preach tonight? And I I got about a half a sermon, I think. And I I got up th- that evening, I stood up before 30 or 40 men, and I just said, guys, I don't know what's going on, but I've got about a half a sermon, and I think somebody else has the rest of it. And um, I-, I preached my-, my sermon. I sat down, and there was silence. And uh, thankfully, the guy that was leading the evening just let it be silent for a while, and then slowly, one man after another started standing up. And they they continued on in the confession and the the dealing with sin. There was a whole group of Southern Baptists there that were from the same mission board. And there was a a couple of guys that that was kind of almost common knowledge. They hated each other. And they stood up and they, they repented. And they said, we've not been an example. They were competing for different missionary jobs. They confessed their sin. We had one of our language institute teachers, a Costa Rican man stood up and he said, and he was crying. He said, I have to confess my hatred for you men. He said, for years I have been teaching in this language institute and I've been watching the immaturity come through my doors. I've been having to deal with the things that are going on in your lives. And I say to God every year, these are the people you're sending to my people with the gospel. He he just confessed his hatred. A couple of guys in the mission force that got up and gathered around them, and they just said, brother, we confess it. We own it on behalf of all of our four students. We confess it, and they owned it, and there was healing. I tell you, I, don't, I, I finally went to bed. I don't know how long it went on. God was at work. You see, when we come to seasons of renewal, we must know what is our part and what is God's part. We cannot do God's part, but we must fulfill our part. Our part is to be in the right state of mind and spirit and heart. And then when God blows his wind, he can can fill the sails. You know, for years, Pat and I windsurfed. And I remember when we learned how to windsurf and finally got got proficient enough at it there'd be times when we'd be out in the middle of the lake i remember standing in the middle of the lake and there's no wind you just stand there and you're flapping the sail <laughs> you can't do anything when there's no wind and 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 then you see across the lake this this rippling of the water it's coming your way it's coming and then you just not—you need to know how to hold the sail so that when it arrives at you, you take that wind and you go. That's the task that God's given us. How do you hold the sail? Are you walking with God? Are you in God's word? Are you in prayer? I know it's not joy every morning. It's not for me. It's not for me. It's discipline. But, you know, I want to just make sure that when God decides to blow his wind upon me or upon our church, we're ready to go. We're ready to go with God. You cannot, you cannot determine that. You cannot. There's no formula. There's nothing that, even if all the conditions that God asks of us are met, it's no guarantee that, okay, this is the month he's going to blow. No. We need to trust God with that. I sometimes wonder... I sometimes have wondered if the prayer time that we've experienced and come to the quiet is a little bit of the the rippling of the water that's coming toward us, the wind of God starting to blow. That's my prayer. Would you stand with me? You know, my heart for each one here is that you would not feel isolated you would not feel alone there's nothing worse than being in a community environment uh, a group of people and having an isolated lonely experience and i would trust that if god is going to blow upon us and send us renewal as i hope he is that it would be something that we experience together because the joy that we experience together when god does it together is going to be abundant it's going to be overflowing And so let's conclude our service today with prayer that God would send His Spirit. Let's pray. Father, perhaps some of the most bold prayers that I've ever prayed that require much faith on my part, on our part, is to just say, come, Holy Spirit, because we believe in You. Come, O God, come, Holy Spirit. Come into this room and breathe. Blow your wind, oh God. There are hearts here today that are broken with all kinds of stuff. I don't know it, but you do. They are living an isolated experience. God, they need to meet with you. They need to hear from you. We pray, God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that even today, they will have heard from you and that they will also experience community with at least one other person that loves you. Oh, God, I pray for us as a family of believers that you might blow your wind upon us even as we think we maybe see the stirrings of revival or renewal. God, may we be faithful to be ready for when you decide to move. And we count on you. And, Lord, we we acknowledge your greatness, your love, your mercy. Lord, we want to exalt the name of Jesus Christ in this city and in this world. And even as we stand together today, we pray for the Nepal team. We ask you, God, to just refresh them, the team themselves, meet them in this time, refresh them, keep them in your safety and health, and use them to spread a passion for the glory of Christ. We commit to our lives and pray that we will also in our meeting that we're going to do now and in, in the uh, week ahead, Lord, that we will honor and serve you. May the love of God our Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Spirit be, it, be with each one now and forevermore. Amen. Go in peace.